Well, that kind of sums up what our series has been for the last few weeks. We've been talking about uh, areas in our Christian life where we say this is our passion, this is what we believe, and this is what we should be doing. But the research says it's quite the opposite. We're not actually living out our beliefs. A lot of those uh, beliefs aren't actual values. They're just kind of aspirational values where we say, I want to do that. But the research says we're just not quite hitting the mark uh, in some of these areas. So we're going to continue that and wrap up that series uh, this morning. I heard a story once a couple was, have been married for 60 years and uh, so throughout their life, uh, they had shared everything. They loved each other deeply and they not kept any secrets from each other except one small little box that they kept at the top of their closet, a little, little shoe box. And so uh, the wife, when she got married, she put the box there and she told her husband, she said, don't ever ask any questions about that box. Don't ever look in that box. As far as you're concerned, that box does not exist. And so he uh, for 60 years, this man honored his wife's request. In fact, he forgot about the box. Uh, until his one day, his wife grew gravely ill. And so the doctors said there's no way of her recovering. This is her last days. And so he started to put her affairs in order. And in doing that, he remembered the box in the top of the closet. And so he got it down and he uh, took it to her at the hospital. He said, you know, it's been 60 years and I've honored your quest. Perhaps now, finally, I can look inside uh, this box. And so she agreed. So they opened the box and inside were, were two uh, little crochet dolls. And then a roll of money that totaled ninety five thousand dollars in the shoebox. And the man was just he's totally astonished. And so the woman told her husband that the day before they were married, uh, she said, my grandmother said that if, if her and her husband were to ever get into an argument with one another, they should simply work hard to reconcile. And if they were unable to reconcile, she should keep her mouth shut and crochet a doll. And so there were two dolls in the box. And so this man was just tears came to his eyes and he grew even deeper in love with this woman because he just thought here 60 years we've been living together and only two times in 60 years were we unable to reconcile an argument as evidenced by just there's two dolls uh, in this box. And so he just, you know, just began to weep. And uh, finally, he said, well, I'm, I'm, you know, but what about this money? So he held up the money roll. And she said, well, she said, honestly, uh, she said, every time I crocheted a doll, I settled to, sold it to the craft fair for five dollars. I, I don't know what your plan is for reconciling conflict, but here's what I do know. You better find one because on this side of eternity with sinful people trying to make this uh, mess called relationships work, you are going to experience the conflict. It's not will you, it's when. And when you do, how is your plan or what is your plan uh, for resolving that? Listen, conflict is a part of every significant relationship because significant relationships require closeness and closeness inherently carries with it the potential for conflict. And so it's just a part of life. And so the goal is not when will it happen. The goal is how do I honor God and how do I navigate through that and what's going on in my heart if there's habitual contact, uh, conflict. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 uh, this morning for the final message in our next level series. And basically this whole series been areas of the Christian life where the Bible says, hey, you should do this. But when we look at the stats, we're not doing that. And so the first week we looked at the area of uh, sharing our faith and personal evangelism. And we concluded uh, that the stats said the overwhelming majority of Christians are not engaging people with the gospel. So we talked about what does it look like? And then last week we took a second area where despite the Bible's teachings on being generous and living open hand and everything belongs to God. And if God blesses, it's just so we can bless other people and all the wisdom in Scripture about living generously. That does not change the stats uh, that last year, the average Christian gave 2.8% of their income away to Christian causes. So we looked at that last uh, last week. So so here's the deal, though. And this week, I don't have clear research on what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but I think I can prove my point with some unscientific research uh, about the issue. Because this week, I'm going to speak, and the message is titled, Experiencing a Conflict Revolution. 
Uh, we just don't need conflict resolution. We, for many of us, we need a revolution, a whole different way of approaching it, looking at it and dealing with it and getting our arms around it from God's perspective. And so, so why did I choose this if I don't have the stats and it's really that big of a deal? And so, so let me just do this morning. I need your help. Let me just do some unscientific research this morning. Okay. About conflict. Like we're, the, we're the people inside the walls of the church who are, should be known for loving God and loving each other. Right. I mean, like you sum up everything and you know, they said, Jesus, Hey, sum it up. Jesus, Hey, listen, love God and love each other. So, so that should define us. Right. So conflict should, should, should be a breeze to us. Right. So let me do some unscientific research this morning to see if this is even an appropriate topic. Raise your hand if you ever personally have been a part of or know of, personally know of, uh, a church going through a nasty split. Anybody ever heard or... Yeah, so the stats are this, 100%, right? And so the reality is, even those of us who, who say, hey, we're, we're known for loving God, loving people, and bearing with one another, and all those one other commands, if it's hard for us to get it right, guess what? It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. So the question is not, are we going to experience conflict that's you know, riddled all of our lives? The question is, how do we deal with it? How do we look at it from God's perspective? What's going on in my heart that keeps driving this conflict? And so that's what I want to look at this morning. And so uh, let's look, start this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four. And I'm going to kind of lay the foundation in verses one through three saying, hey, listen, this is God's standard. This is how God views this. This is what God wants and desires and produces. And then uh, we're going to realize in, in verses twenty five through thirty two that if we're not living to God's standard in verses one through three, here's how we get there in verses twenty five through thirty two. So the principle and then the practical is kind of how we're going to organize our thoughts this morning. So Ephesians chapter four, let's pick up the text right in verse one. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so he's saying, right off that, listen, if you want to live your life uh, in a way that honors God in a different part of Scripture, the New Testament says uh, to live our lives worthy of the gospel. That's a parallel truth with Ephesians 4. One here he says, listen, th- this is what it should look like. You should endeavor to keep unity and the bonds of peace. And so everybody wants that. My experience is, is that despite even people who engage themselves in a lot of conflict, for the most part, most people don't like conflict. They just kind of shy away from it. They just don't like it or whatever the case is. And so that's the standard verses one through three. That's what God desires to be produced in us and through us. And so verses 25 and 32 are going to lay out some principles about how to actually achieve that. So let's look down now at verse 25. He says, therefore, as a result of all these things that flow out of verse one through three, therefore, Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But, or in contrast, what is good for necessary edification. Edification is a Bible word for, for building up, is all that that means. Necessary edification of building up that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking good put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
So uh, we're going to organize our thoughts this morning again, verses one through three, kind of here's the foundation. Here's what should naturally should happen if I'm living my life, surrender to control the Holy Spirit. And then then the verses twenty five through thirty two. Here's how we get there. Some practical principles to remember if you're going to experience a conflict revolution. But before we even get into the text, I want to deal with the, the real issue, because you've heard me say this. And I'm sure I heard someone else say this at a point in time that the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. That so many times we get caught up in the behavior and, and can you believe they did that? And they wouldn't speak to me and we haven't talked in years and, and I can't believe they said that or did, you know, what do you think they meant by that? We're so concerned with the behaviors, but we fail to step back and look at it from God's perspective and say, listen, what's going on in the heart that drives those behaviors? Most of the time in conflict resolution or revolution, uh, we just want the behavior to stop. Like just make it go away or just, just fix it. But let me tell you something. If you don't address behavior on the heart level, it's never going to stop. It's just going to keep going. Why? Because Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, above everything in the scripture, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it alone determines the course of your life. One translation reads this way. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it is the wellspring of life. What does that mean? It's whatever is in my heart is going to spring forth. In my life. And so if you ever sit back and say, I don't know why they do that. They've done that for years. Why do they keep doing that? Because that's exactly what's going on in their heart. And so Proverbs 4.23 talks about that. And when we come to the issue of conflict. Uh, we, we want to break free from that pattern. We, we want them to stop. We see it in other people. We want them just to get a grip. But they don't understand why what's going on in their hearts. Like they just think the behavior is the real issue. But they don't understand why it's happening on the heart level. Uh, during his earthly ministry, a young man uh, wanted some, some guidance. And so uh, he approached Jesus and asked him to settle an inheritance dispute. There was conflict going on about an inheritance. And so here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, uh, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Uh, then he said to them, watch out, be in guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so he goes and says, hey, listen, there's a behavior going on. Like, I think I should get the inheritance and so and so thinks they should get it. And so if you would just take care of the behavior and Jesus says, listen, you need to watch out because the behavior, not what's going on. What's going on if this conflict is a heart issue of greed in your heart. And so Jesus doesn't even address the behavior. He could have settled the argument and say, hey, listen, here's a resolution for your situation. He said, no, no, that's not the issue. The issue is the greed in your heart. It's why you're even coming to me in the first place. And so this passage reveals a pattern. This is so crucial. This I want you to listen closely. When faced with a conflict, we tend to focus passionately on what the other person has done wrong or should do to make things right. But in contrast, God is not looking at that. God is always looking at what's going on in the heart. God always calls the focus on our own hearts because the heart is the issue of everything. I told you Proverbs 4.23, maybe not totally convinced. Here's what the New Testament says. Matthew chapter 15 says this. For out of the heart... Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony and slander. And so every behavior that you're observing that you do not like is rooted in a heart issue. It's true in your life. It's true in your children's lives. It's true in all those things. That's why we say when you're raising kids, the goal is not to conform behavior when you're raising your kids. The goal is to cultivate a heart that loves God. And if a heart that loves God, it'll pursue righteousness on its own and the behavior will take care of itself. And so the issue is always the heart 
Now, I want to give you a foundational passage for this issue of uh, talking about the heart as it relates to conflict. And, and here's what some of you do. Some of you have no idea why your life has been marked by conflict. It doesn't matter if it's your work. It doesn't matter if it's your spouse. It doesn't matter if your kids. It doesn't matter if it's your extended family. Some of you have no idea why conflict just seems to find you. Like you just think you're this magnet for conflict. And let me just tell you what the Bible teaches in James chapter four. You, you should memorize this passage if you want to get a hand on conflict, what's really going on in the heart level. So here's what James chapter four says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You're like, I, I don't know. Like if I knew I'd write a book, right? Well, here's the good news. God did. OK, so here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Listen, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so listen, that is the root of conflict. That is what's going on in a life that's dominated by conflict on the heart level. Let me, let me just lay out the pattern for you, how conflict takes place according to this passage. Conflict arises from unmet desire in our hearts. You say, where do you get that from? It's right in the text. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? And so you say, here's what happens. So you've got desires that, that you want to be met. It may be the desire to be affirmed. It may be the desire to be loved. It may be the desire to be respected. It may be the desire to be accepted. Listen, all kinds of desires. And desires aren't necessarily wrong because God gives us those desires. But, but what happens is that desire becomes the idol of your heart instead of Jesus. And when that happens, that desire becomes so strong. And that idol, listen, every idol has an appetite and it wants to be fed. And what happens is when unmet desires grow and become idols with appetites, when unmet desires grow, they turn into demands. And when demands are not met, I will punish you for not meeting those demands in the form of conflict. And so the issue is not what they said or can you believe what they did or I can't, you know, I don't know why. What do they mean by that? Listen, that's not the issue going on. The issue is an unmet desire. It's an idol that needs to be fed. So it turns into a demand and that demand leads to punishment. If you don't meet my demands or quarrels and conflicts, that's exactly what's going on. And so if you've ever sat back and say, oh, I don't. I don't know why I always do that. You know, I say things and I don't mean it. And I spout off and I'm hurtful and then I come back and I'm so sorry and I'll never do that again. And I do it again. Why? Because I have an unmet desire that's not being met. It grows into a demand and those demands, if not satisfied, lead to quarrels and fights among you. James chapter four, verses one through three. That's exactly what's going on in the heart. Where does it come from among you? Does it not come from your desires that battle within you? And the reason that we get so stirred up is that somebody is opening our heart and rearranging our idols. And I don't know what that idol is. Again, it may be acceptance or affirmation or whatever the case is, but that idol has to be fed. And if it's not fed, I'm going to make demands. And if you don't meet those demands, I'm going to throw a fit. Where do not quarrels and conflicts come? Do not come from your own heart and its desires. And so listen, I, I want to lay the foundation because that is the foundation of conflict. It's not what happened. It's not what they said, despite the fact you think it is. It's not what they did. It's whatever's going on in your own heart. At that time. All right. So that's the foundation. So 
Let's look at Ephesians chapter four. Uh, we lay the foundation where conflict really takes place. Uh, we're going to look at what God's standard is and why it's God's standard. And then we're going to walk through practically in verses 25 through 32 and get a handle and experience this conflict revolution on biblical principles. All right. So here, here's the first thing. This is the foundation of that. Here's what I want you to understand is that conflict is to be viewed negatively, according to Ephesians four. Conflict is to be viewed negatively. Now, why would you even say that? Because that's so obvious. Like, why, why would you even say that? Because here's what I found is that some people just kind of they just this conflict has riddled their life. It's riddled their marriage. It's riddled with your, this, whatever the environment is, their workplace, whatever the case is. And they just kind of come to the place where they no longer agree with God. that conflict is sinful. Matter of fact, we have a phrase in our culture. They say it is what it is like they just make peace. That conflict is to be the norm and expectation in this relational environment. So they just sit back and say, what's the way it's always been? And probably the way it's always been. It's the way it, it is what it is. And we just make peace with the absence of peace. We just come and say it's always been that way. And so it's probably always going to be that way. And you will never come to the place where you experience conflict, revolution, until you come to the place and view it from God's perspective and say, listen, this may be the way it's always been, but by the grace of God, this is not the way it always has to be, because this is not God's standard. And so he begins to lay out this foundation here in the passage. And, uh, and so chapter uh, 4, verse 1, what does he say? I want you to walk as a prison Lord, beseech you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He said, hey, listen, I called you to salvation. You should live differently because you should walk in a worthy manner of someone who's been saved. You say, what what, what are the characteristics needed to do that? Verse two, it's very practical. Verse two, with all lowliness and gentleness and long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And then verse three is the why. Verse one is the what. Verse two is the how. Verse three is the why. Why is it such a big deal to view conflict? Why is conflict so you know why does it grieve god why has god unity so much listen here's why look at verse three closely here's what he says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace now i want you to circle word note a word whatever the case is in your mind whatever you need to do to remember this i want you to circle or note the word keep keep because what is not there is the word produce what is not there is the word create what is not there is the word manufacture and you know what that means it means that, that listen, uh, peace doesn't come from you and I. Peace doesn't mean you and I see everything together. Listen, peace, when you got two believers coming together in conflict, listen, that is contrary to the will of God because the spirit of God live in, lives inside of me should produce unity and the bonds of peace. He doesn't say you have to create this. He just says you have to keep or maintain or preserve what the spirit naturally produces when you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. So he says, preserve this. Why? Because if you're living under the control of the spirit, this is exactly what's going to flow. The bond of peace and unity is going to happen in your life. So, so what does all that mean? Here's why I say all that to say this. That if my life is dominated by conflict, then I have to reconcile the fact that what's being produced in my life is something I create. And the reason I know that is because the spirit of God does not create that. Listen, the spirit of God says it's already there. You, you just got to maintain it. And when it's no longer being maintained, guess what? I'm creating something different. You know what we call that living that way? We call it grieving the spirit of God. That's what we call it. That the spirit of God says, hey, listen, I'm going to produce something in you. And if it's not there, you're not. Then something's happening. 
Because when you're living in such a way that honors God, that's the natural overflow of what the spirit produces is unity and the bond of peace. And so you may be resolved. and you know, It's always been that way. And that's just how a relationship is. Or we fight, we make up and we say things we don't mean. And it is, just, it is what it is. Listen, not from God's perspective. From God's perspective, when you and I are living under the control and surrender to the Holy Spirit, guess what? You know what happened? Bond of peace and unity. It is naturally what's produced when we're living under the control of the Spirit. That's why it doesn't say produce peace. It says keep it because it naturally has happened when I'm living under the control of the Holy Spirit. So I've got to view this thing from God's perspective. Let me tell you why. Because my experience of this is anytime people are involved in conflict, they want they want change to happen. But, here, but here's what my experience is. They want change to happen in the other person. Right. Like there are times in my office where people are coming in and they're not saying this, but I'm reading between the lines. And what they're saying is I need you to fix them. I need you to change that person. Like, I've never had a person say, hey, listen, I'm I'm totally messed up. You need to fit right. Let me tell you what happens in the process of real change. I mean, from the heart level where it drives a different behavior. What happens is this behavior is driven by a changed heart. And a changed heart happens on the foundation is this, is that I first see things the way that God sees them. And I agree with God that his standard is right. Agreeing with God is what we call confession. And so when I come to a place and view it from God's perspective, then I come to a place and I agree with God and there's confession that takes place. And that confession should lead to godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7, and godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life. And so if you want the habit to change and the conflict to go away, you've got to go all the way back past repentance, past godly sorrow and get back to the place of confession. And confession happens when I agree with God and you will never agree with God on this situation of conflict. If you just sit back and said, hey, it is what it is. It's always been this way and it's always going to be this way. And so conflict has to be viewed negatively from the perspective of God, because it, it is not keeping what the spirit naturally produces inside of me. Which is unity in the bonds of peace. So conflict is viewed negatively. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. And that's why the Bible says this. You're right in the Beatitudes, it says this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Like it never says, blessed are the peace hopers. Blessed are the peace wanters. Blessed are the peace wishers. Blessed are the peace desires. What does it say? Blessed are the peacemakers. And so what does that look like? Well, Ephesians or Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Cannot be any clearer. It says this. If it is possible, listen to this, Romans twelve eighteen. if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Why does it say as it depends on you? Because I cannot control the outcome of the other person. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so there's no area of your life that's unresolved conflict that you can just sit back and go, hey, it is what it is, because that is living totally contrary to what the spirit produces in me, which is unity and the bonds of peace. Got to view it from God's perspective. Number two, if I want to get a grip and experience a conflict revolution. Number two, conflict is to be resolved truthfully. Conflict is to be resolved truthfully. So we've got the principle. So let's go to the practical. Conflict is to be resolved truthfully. Now, why do you say that? Why, why is that a point worth making? Because here's why. Sometimes uh, conflict gets so painful and it's gone on for so long that, that we just we exchange truth for peace. And we just come to the place where, you know, the other person says, hey, or, or we have a little tiff today or are we OK? Or because I don't you know, I don't know. Are we are we OK here? And you're not OK because you're still grieved. You're angry. But you just sit back. You go, we're fine. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And really, it is a big deal. And it's less than honest in our communication. And so sometimes we just take that. And we just we just stuff it down like we just keep stuffing it down. Are you OK? I'm fine. I'm totally fine. 
Are we okay here? We're fine. Don't worry about it. We're told to just stuff it down, stuff it down, and stuff it down. Find a new compartment in my heart and just keep pushing it back in there. And if that's the story of your life, when you just you don't like conflict, so you choose peace instead of truth, and you just stuff it down, stuff it down. Some of you for decades. Let me just ask you a question this morning. How's that working for you? There's no peace on the inside. You know what's on the inside? It's resentment. It's bitterness. And bitterness grows to wrath and clamor. You know what clamor is? Clamor is when you lose your marbles. Like you ever seen a mom in a grocery store with a kid and they just they just they finally just lose it? That's clamor. Where does that start? It starts with resentment that grows into bitterness, that grows into wrath, that grows into clamor. Where does resentment starting with? It's being less than honest in my communication. It's saying, hey, we're fine when we're not fine. But instead of being honest, I'm just going to peace at all costs. I'm just going to stuff it down even deeper. And so conflict requires to be resolved truthfully. Proverbs 4.23, and some of you think, well, I can just stuff it down and, and it won't affect my life. Listen, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. You cannot stuff things down that are not honoring God and expect your lifestyle to honor God. It's going to come out. I've told this over and over again. You cannot bury something that's alive. And the reason I know that's twofold, number one, is because I have done lots of counseling. And number two, I've seen the movie Pet Cemetery. And you see that? Remember that? Can't bury something that's alive. I won't do that noise again. I'm sorry. And so here's what happens. We just come to the place and we're generally grieved. We're angry about something. But instead of being truthful in our communication, the other person says, are, are we OK? And you're not OK. And you say, we're OK. And so we're not honest. Did you know it's okay to tell someone else you're angry? He said, where do you find that at? Next verse. Look at verse 26. What's he say? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. He says this, therefore put away, or verse, verse 25. Why should we be truthful? Verse 25, let's back up. Therefore put away lying. What is lying? It's less than honest communication. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Anybody in my circle of influence. That's what that means biblically, according to Luke chapter 10. What is, put, what is, what is lying? Are we okay? We're fine. We're not fine. I'm lying. What if I'm angry? You should say so. Where do you get that from? Verse 26. What's he say? Be angry and do not sin. You know why that and is there? Because it separates two principles. Be angry and do not sin. You know what that means? You can be righteously angry. Someone has offended you, hurt you, done something sinful towards you. You can be angry and it still not be sinful. You can express your anger and say, you know what? We're not okay. Matter of fact, I'm angry, and so I just want to be honest about that so that we can move to a place of conflict revolution instead of sitting here saying that I'm, I'm fine and I'm not fine and resentment's building up the whole time. Conflict is to be resolved truthfully. Now, let, let me just say, some of you, that, that is the story of your life. Doesn't matter if it's your work, doesn't matter if it's your extended family, doesn't matter if it's your spouse. All your life, people have been asking you, are we okay? And you just don't like conflict. So it's not truth at all costs. It's peace at all costs in your life. And so all your whole life, you said, hey, we're okay. And you're not okay. You say, what's going to happen if I live that life? Listen, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen if that is the pattern of your life. Now, listen, I've said this before. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I do work here for a nonprofit. All right. And so you should listen, because I'm going to give you a word of prophecy this morning. Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. You will give an open door to Satan and his demons to destroy every relationship that you have. 
Satan cannot steal your salvation. So his next best thing is to rob you of your joy. And the best way to rob someone of their joy is to destroy every important relationship in their life. You say that you're so smart and so beautiful. And so how do, how, how do you know that? Right. Because I read the Bible. Look at verse 27. What does it say? Verse 27 says this. Let's go back to verse 26 to understand the context. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. What, what does that mean? Are we okay? We're okay, but we're not okay. But I'd just rather talk about it and go to bed angry. I'd just rather the sun go down while I'm still bitter instead of resolving the conflict because peace at all costs, not truth at all costs, is a little easier for me to manage emotionally. That's exactly what that means. So what happens if I choose to live my life that way and don't resolve conflict truthfully? Verse 27 is exactly what happens. What's he saying? Nor give place to the devil. Some of your translations say this. And I like this reading better. Some of your translations say this. Do not give the devil a foothold. You say, what's a foothold? Listen, here's what a foothold is. A foothold is defined in the dictionary as a firm basis for further development. So, so let me just recap this and we'll move on. When someone says, hey, are we okay? And we're not okay, but I say we're okay. That's not truthful communication. Verse 25. And that resentment just begins to build up and build up because it's peace at all costs, not truth at all costs. And so the sun goes down daily on the wrath and resentment is just building up. Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. You give the devil a firm basis for further development. That's what a foothold is in your relationship. And I promise you, giving Satan a firm foothold for further development in your relationship is not a good thing. You see how important it is that it, it, listen, that to be truthful? As a matter of fact, I can even be angry and it still not be sinful. If I do it in the right way, in the right spirit. And if I don't do that, if I just let the sun, if it's just peace at all costs and I don't want to tell the truth and I'm angry and I'm, maybe I shouldn't be angry. Is it wrong for me to be angry? Listen, if you don't do that, you will give the devil a foothold, which is a firm basis for further development in your relationship. And let me just uh, that does not have a happy ending. And so conflict has to be resolved truthfully. Secondly, we see in the text conflict has to be resolved lovingly. Lovingly, someone very wise once said this truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy and neither is God's standard. You have to speak the truth, but you have to do it in love. Look at verse twenty nine. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Well, what does that mean? Oftentimes, my experience is this. Is it the difference between a word that builds up edification, just a bad word for building up the difference between a word that builds up and a word that tears down is not the content. It's not whether it's true or not. It's the tone in which it was shared. And so if your if your method of conflict re resolution is simply this, hey, the truth hurts and you're fine with that. Let me just share something with you this morning. God is not. He says you're to speak the truth in love. You're to speak words and impart grace to the hearers. And truth without love is brutality. The mark of maturity and character is displayed in seasons of conflict. My true heart is exposed. And so is my motive. Proverbs 15.1 says this. Now it is a harsh word not permitted biblically. It doesn't even work practically. You say, how do you know that? Proverbs 15.1 says this. That a soft answer turns away wrath, but angry words stir up anger. You know how to diffuse a conflict with a soft answer. You know how to keep conflict going with an angry word. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but an angry word stirs up anger. I just got to have the last word. I just got to get that dig in. Yeah, the truth hurts, doesn't it? 
Scripture says conflict is resolved lovingly. I'm going to speak words to build up and to bless, to impart grace to the hearers. Verse 29. And here's what happens. Oh, I just get so angry. Like, I just, I can't control my tone. And I don't mean to come across harsh, but I get so stirred up. And so I say something. That, and then as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, and I, but I just can't help myself. Can I share with you that your tone is a choice? And the reason I know that is because, let me tell you something everybody in this room has done. You've been in an argument with your wife. You've heard me say this. Tasha, I've been married 15 years. We've never had a single argument in 15 years. We have had on occasion intense moments of fellowship. But you've been in an argument with your spouse or your or one of your kids. You're just going bonkers. You're right. Losing your marbles with your kids. And the phone rings or someone knocks on the door. Well, how are you? You just prove that tone is a choice. You just you know why you don't make that choice with your spouse or someone close to you? Because you think you can get away with it. And dear friend, hear me this morning. You're not getting away with it. All you're doing is laying the bricks of resentment that build into walls of bitterness. Conflict has to resolve truthfully. Conflict has to be resolved lovingly. And lastly, we find the text conflict has to be resolved completely. Completely. Conflict revolution has not taken place until complete forgiveness has as well. And God commands us to forgive regardless of whether you and I feel like it. Regardless of that. Where do you find that in the text? Verse 32, what's he say? And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Even as God in Christ forgave you. How do I know when a revolution has taken place in conflict? It's when forgiveness can truly be extended. How do I know when forgiveness has really been extended? Because here's what I've experienced in my life, and you have as well. I say I've forgiven someone, but every time their name comes up, I wish them harm. Now, it may not be physical, right? I'm a pastor, so just relax. I, I delight in their failures. But yet I'm telling her, oh, I forgave them. I don't want to talk to them again, but I forgave them. Let me tell you, when, when forgiveness actually has happened... Because I treat you if the offense never happened, even though we both remember that it did. You ever heard someone say, forgive and forget? Let me just tell you something. That's nowhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, forgiveness wouldn't be that big of a deal. It wouldn't be such a worthy goal if I could forget about it. I mean, how honorable is it to forgive something that I don't even remember? That's not honorable. So forgive and forget is not biblical. No, listen, forgiveness happens when I treat you as if the offense never happened, even though we both remember that it did. Well, how do I treat you that way? Here's how I don't bring it up to you. I don't bring it up to anybody else. I don't bring it up to myself and nurse bitterness. The only time forgiveness is to be withheld is when the other person is not repentant over their sin. Luke chapter 17, verse three, when your brother sins against you, if conditional, if he repents, forgive him. But even in that context, I release the bitterness from my own heart, even if I don't reconcile the relationship. How do I release the bitterness from my own heart? I don't bring it up to the other person except for their benefit. I don't bring it up to anyone else except for ministry. I don't bring it up to myself and nurse bitterness. Forgiveness happens when I treat you as if the offense never happened, even though we both know that it did. And if that old injury is the trump card in every argument, you can tell everybody in the world you've forgiven, but you have not. Forgive one another, even as Christ forgave you. And see, so I just I just like to bring it up sometimes to remind them. What if God did that to you? Is, is that what God does to you? No. Forgive them, even as Christ forgave you. Well, let me just make this really practical. Then we're almost done here. 
Let me give you three practical steps to restoring a relationship. I could have came up with 10, 15, 20. I read some of this week in my study. I just kind of picked the three that, that I thought were crucial in, in my experience. And so let me just give you three practical steps for restoring a relationship. Number one, talk to God before talking to the person. Talk to God before talking to the person. If you'll pray about the conflict first, instead of gossiping to a friend, you'll often discover that either God changes your heart or he changes the other person. Imagine that. God doesn't need our help to change anybody. What a thought. Talk to God before talking. Listen, tell God you're angry. I love reading David's Psalms. David's just, David's, I mean, David's, Lord, I am furious. I can't believe this has happened. God already knows what's going on in your heart. And so just pour out your heart to God. Talk to God before talking to the person. Pray for wisdom. Pray for forgiveness before they even repent. Listen, just pray that you would go in the right spirit. Pray that you would have the wisdom to choose your tone. Pray that your convictions, not your emotions, would drive you. Pray. Go to God before you go to the other person. Now, let me just give you this. We'll move on. How do I know if I've spent enough time with the Lord before I go to that other person to resolve the conflict? It's really simple. Here's how you know if you spend enough time going to God before you go to the person. When you come to the place where you're more grieved about your sin than theirs, then you're ready to go to that person. Talk to God before talking to the person. Number two, attack the problem, not the person. You cannot fix the problem if you're consumed with fixing the blame. You cannot fix the problem if you're consumed with fixing the blame. You must choose between the two. In my experience, this a lot of people would rather fix the blame than the problem because they just like the other person being wrong. Proverbs 16, 21 says this, a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. Do you realize that blowing up in anger never changes anyone else? You say, well, is that just your opinion? No, listen, it's in, it's in the Bible. James chapter one, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You can get angry all you want. You're not changing anybody else on the heart level. Do you understand that? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God is what the book of James says. So you spend your time attacking the problem. Not the person. Here's the last one. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. This is so, so crucial. So if you're listening this morning, say amen. Here's what I mean by that. My experience is this, is that people don't want to be reconciled nearly as bad as they want to be right. And when that's the case, there's no hope for conflict revolution to take place. Resolution says you have to agree with me on a set of terms. Resolution demands... That you admit you were wrong and I was right. But can I tell you that if you want to model the gospel, that being resolution is not what models the gospel, reconciliation is. Listen, if there's anybody who could stand back and say, just say, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. And so as a result of that, I'm not going to reconcile. It would be the Father. Resolution demands an agreement that someone's right, someone's wrong. Reconciliation is a different thing altogether. Let me tell you why reconciliation is so important. It's because reconciliation is one of the ways we model the gospel to the world around us. Every one of us raised our hand this morning and said, oh, I could tell you the nasty church split or fight or whatever the case is. And folks, if we can't get it right in here, then you can preach all you want that God is a reconciling God to the world around you. Nobody's listening to a gospel that doesn't play out practically in your life. The Bible says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That is the gospel. It is a reconciliatory gospel. So let me just close with a simple reminder. Let me just close with this. 
the nature of the gospel does not leave margin for us to claim to be wrong with our neighbor, but fully right with God. The nature of the gospel does not leave the margin for us to be wrong with our neighbor, but be fully right with God. I invite you to bow your heads this morning if you would.